Thank you. Hey, it's so good to be here with you today. Um, I was, or Sue and I were supposed to be in Horsham for live today so that we could have um, church and then the wedding rehearsal that was due to be this afternoon. But all that's changed. Phoebe and Xander finished up getting married three days early and um, it was a magnificent, beautiful wedding. Um, they may be a little disappointed that not everything happened that could have happened on the day. But the good news is that three days close to their 25th wedding anniversary. So we can um, praise God for that. Uh, so, but it's really good that I can do this remotely and be a part of you as we share around the word of God today. Just as we start, I was thinking that um, for a number of years, probably three years, Sue and I used to watch MasterChef on a regular basis, the first three, first three series of MasterChef, and uh, didn't watch it for years. I guess we just got bored with it or something, but we didn't watch it for years. And then this year, we watched the last week, particularly mainly because Justin Ryan was in the final and we just wanted to see how he went. He's a um, Christian, a pastor and um, we wanted to see how he went but it made me think that one of the reasons I wasn't so keen on MasterChef after a while was that I got annoyed with their use of the word um, hero. They talked about the hero of this dish is the lamb or the, the chicken or the salmon or whatever it might be. I don't think I ever heard them say the hero of the dish was the Brussels sprouts um, but yeah, they talked about hero and I thought, you know, I'm not sure that food can be a hero. You see, a hero is someone who inspires us, someone who encourages us to live a great life. And as a Christian, I want a hero who is someone who encourages me and inspires me to a great life for God and also to encourage me to finish well and to live this life really well. And so the concept of heroes being devalued, you know, sportsmen are heroes. And I guess particularly this week, we can see that with um, the Olympic Games. And then you've got um, pop stars become heroes and they often let us down. They don't do what they, we expect them to do as heroes. But the truth is, we want he as Christians, we want heroes who encourage us and um, bring the best out in us. And you know, heroes are not always the most prominent people. They come in all shapes and sizes. Sarah and I were pastoring a church in Alice Springs for a number of years and had a, quite a few teams came from churches around Australia to, um, to our church, particularly to work amongst indigenous people and to learn about the, the culture of the indigenous people who are around that area, particularly the Christians. But one year we had a team that came from Bateman's Bay. And in that team was a lady who'd been saved only a couple of years, I think, but she'd come on this missions team. And we were just chatting about, um, we were just chatting about the, uh, you know, the things that we were going to do over the time that they were there. And while we were doing that, we, um, she said, look, what's inspired me to come here is that I read an article some years ago about a, um, 
about a couple of ladies who left their home when they were very young and moved to Western Australia. And in a remote area of Western Australia, they were just um, ministering to the Indigenous people, learning their language, translating the Bible into, into their language, and they lived there for 25 years. And she said, when I read this, I was just so incredibly inspired. That they're just heroes to me. And it was great because I was actually able to say to them, would you like to meet these ladies? Because these ladies were part of our church and have been part of the church in Alice Springs for some time. And I was able to take them, take her around to their house and to meet with them at their house. But you know, that made me realize that heroes are not the people who, you know, everyone thinks has done something really incredible, but the people who just touch the hearts of people and encourage them to live well and to live good for God. When I think about my heroes, I guess I've had a lot of heroes over the years, but the most effective ones, and I think the greatest ones, have been Bible characters. And there's one Bible character in particular who I think has been an incredible hero to me and has really encouraged me to, uh, to get on with life and to live for God. And that Bible character is Caleb. Now, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have heard of Caleb. Um, but Caleb's an incredible inspiration to us. When you look at the life of Caleb, he was um, of the tribe of Judah. And yet there's some indication that his background was a little bit uncertain or a little bit mixed in that his father was described as a Kenazite, which was a Gentile. And so Caleb may not have been accepted within his culture as being a great person or the right sort of person or totally acceptable. But at the same time, God really raved over him. He thought he was awesome. And we read the account of what God had to say to him. And the reason was that he lived an exemplary life. He lived a life that was an inspiration and it's an inspiration to every one of us. Um, what was it that set him apart? Why is Caleb someone who could be a hero to us? When you look at his life, you remember that Caleb was one of the 10 spies that went into promised land, or 12 spies. And when they came back, there were 10 of them who had a negative response. They, they came back and said, yes, it's a great land that is flowing with milk and honey. But, you know, they had this question mark, but there are giants in the land. We can't go in there. We can't take it. We can't win it because it's just too hard. And it was only um, Caleb and Joshua who stood out and said, hey, with God, we can take it. And I think that's what makes Caleb such an inspiration that he God looked at him and he saw that he was something incredible. If you look in Numbers chapter 14, uh, verses, uh, verses 22 to 24, it says, But all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I'll bring him to the land where he went and his descendants 
shall inherit it. From these verses, and particularly verse 24, we see four things about Caleb that made him a role model and made him a hero. The first thing is this, he had a servant's heart. Verse 24, but my servant, Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, my servant, Caleb. I think it's interesting that um, when you hear God speaking in the, in the Bible about people who he has a great um, admiration for, people who he really wants to lift up, he often describes them as a servant. We'll go through this very quickly, but in Genesis 26, verse 24, he talks about my servant Abraham. In Numbers 12, verse 77, my servant Moses. In uh, 2 Samuel 3, verse 18, by the hand of my servant David, I'll save my people Israel. Job 1, 8, have you considered my servant Job when the Lord was speaking to Satan? And so constantly he's talking about the servant and saying that the people who I really respect are people who commit themselves to being my servant. In each of these situations, God's really delighted with someone, using them as an example. And in each case, he describes them as a servant. What did Jesus say? Matthew 23, verses 11 and 12 in the message, it says this, do you want to stand out? Then step down, be a servant. If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, your life will count for plenty. Be a servant, step down, be a servant. Don't puff yourself up because God recognized that if a person is going to be meaningful and effective for God, then he needs to be a servant. He or she needs to be a servant. It's interesting, Paul described himself as a servant of Jesus Christ in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And the word that he used there literally means under rower in a ship. The ships of those days had three levels. There was the top level of rowers, the second level of rowers, and then the under rowers, the ones right down the bottom. And when Paul said, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was saying, I'm right down the bottom. I don't count myself as anything but I just want to do what's pleasing to God. You see, God doesn't need geniuses. He's smart enough. He doesn't need experts. He doesn't need advisors. He needs people who will simply do what they're told to do. So people who will be obedient to him and do what God calls them to do. It may not be something, it may not be something that, um, you know, stands out to other people, but God appreciates our obedience and our servanthood. But we need to be a servant. Being a servant means not having an agenda. It's not what I want, but you, what, what you want. Being a servant means not asserting my rights. You, know, you can't be a servant and assert your rights at the same time because servants do what the master desires of them. And Jesus wants us to be a servant. Now I have to admit, I don't always act or even feel like a servant. I think sometimes 
as you get older, it gets harder to be a servant. It gets harder sometimes to just, you know, do what you have to do. And often you do want to assert your rights. Like when I'm in a restaurant and the service is slow, I'm pretty quick to want to tell someone, hey, you know, I paid the money, I deserve the service. But God wants us to realize that particularly before him, we're called to do what he calls us to do and um, to do nothing else. Caleb was a servant. He was a bond slave to God and his heart was inclined towards whatever God wanted him to do. Would God be able to say that of us? In our church, our families, God is calling us to have a servant attitude. So number one, he was a servant. Number two, he had a different spirit. Numbers 14, again, verse 24, that same verse, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in me and has followed me fully. What does it mean to have a different spirit? I, actually, I, I sort of looked this up. I thought it must be something really significant. So I went to the, the Greek and had a look at what the Greek meant. And what I finally discovered was that different means just that different there's nothing it's not a particular it's a common word it's a word that was used consistently but it literally means not aligning yourself to the expected but being willing to go above and beyond what's expected not becoming consistent with the lowest common denominator but being prepared to stand out as I thought about that, I thought, you know, servanthood is never the enemy of excellence. God wants us to be servants, but he wants us to be excellent servants. So often we measure ourselves against others and think, well, I'm not too bad to com compare to this person or that person. But God doesn't want us to measure us against others. He wants us to actually determine that we're going to be absolutely the best that we can be for him. We want to be able to do what God's called us to do. God loved the fact that Caleb had a different spirit. You think about the other spies who went into the land. They exhibited inappropriate caution. They said, oh, that's too big for us. They exhibited rebellion. We're just not gonna go. They exhibited nostalgia. Take us back to Egypt. Let's have the old things. Let's not try something new. They exhibited blame shifting. It's all Moses' fault. They exhibited fear and unbelief. We can't. But Caleb said, come on, let's have a go. They're just giants. And God's bigger than any giant that there can be in the land. And so they, they, he recognised that God could do great things and he was prepared to stand out in serving God. Caleb was an amazing man who simply believed God for great things. I believe that having a different spirit leads to abundant life. If we're not prepared to settle with the ordinary, but we believe God for the extraordinary, then we need to reach out and have a go and see God doing great things. 
Number three, he had a full-on commitment. It says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I'll bring him into the land that he shall inherit it. Followed me fully. That's how God described him, someone who was a, a full-on follower. In Joshua 14, verse 8, Caleb said himself, he said, nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. It's interesting, isn't it, that Caleb was 40 when he went into the promised land as a spy. He was 85 when he entered his inheritance. But he didn't consider retirement. He just kept following God. He kept doing what God called him to do. I think it must have irked him a little bit when he spent 40 years in the wilderness. You know, we complain about seven days of lockdown, but what about 40 days in the wilderness? He, um, he spent 40 days in the wilderness, even though he himself had been obedient. Even so, he had said, come on, let's go and take that land now. He walked with all of the disobedient people for 40 years in the wilderness until eventually they came into the promised land. He deserved to be in the promised land, but he kept serving. He kept serving God. He kept consistent in his faith to God. You see, Christianity is not a part-time commitment. It's a full commitment for a full time for all of life. Caleb was fully committed in serving God. And finally, he had a see it through attitude. I will bring him into the land where he went, God said. In other words, he's been there, he wanted to stay there, but I'm going to bring him there eventually. It was 85 when his chance came, but he took the opportunity. Let me read, just in closing, a few verses from Joshua 14, verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel was wandering in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I'm as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. In other words, I'm going to fight and I'm going to win. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him. And he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jepunai, as an inheritance. He didn't ask for the easy. He asked for the best. Why do you think the Anakim lived on the mountain? They were big, they were strong, they could live where they wanted to live. But they chose to live on the mountain because it was the best. And Caleb simply believed God and he went for it. And he came through victorious. 
I think our default answer for God has always got to be, yes, Lord. To finish well, to have an abundant life, we need to ask the Lord this. We need to say, Lord, please help me to have a servant heart, a different spirit, a full-on commitment, and a see-through attitude. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have examples in your word that teach us how we should live. And we thank you for the example of Caleb. We thank you that he had a servant's heart. We thank you that he had a different spirit. He was willing to really have a go for it for God. We thank you that he was fully committed and that he saw it through right to the end and saw the victory. And we pray, Lord, that you will help each one of us to have that same spirit in our hearts and that same attitude in our hearts that we may see it through and hear those words at the end of our lives. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.